0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very exciting episode of the show for you folks today. Joining us on the other side of the mic for his inaugural episode of the show, we have Jacob Stierna, CEO of GSR, the cryptocurrency market maker and investment firm. Today, we're going to be discussing the opportunities that exist out there for firms like GSR In the wake of the FTX meltdown, maybe there's some new opportunities. Maybe there are, maybe there's less opportunities. Who knows? We're going to get there and how maybe recent events have impacted market liquidity. I keep hearing the word dry a lot. It's dry out there. Maybe GSR is making it less dry. But before we dive in, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Huobi, one of the world's leading virtual asset exchanges, has been providing convenient and professional virtual asset management services to more than 50 million users in more than 160 countries for nearly a decade. At Huobi, their mission is to make crypto accessible to help you understand risks and make informed decisions to protect you and your assets. Learn more today at huobi.com. This episode is also brought to you by Ledin. From Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans, Ledin's financial services enable you to benefit from your holdings today without selling your Bitcoin. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of The Blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co terms service. Once again, I want to thank Jacob for coming on the show and joining us. It's been a long time coming, sir. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, since this is the first time you've been on the show. We have some new listeners, maybe who are unfamiliar with GSR as well. Can't remember the exact last time Rich was on the show, but I feel like it was quite some time ago, uh, your counterpart Mm -hmm. and colleague. So give us a little uh, summary, if you will.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been here at GSR since early 18. GSR has been around since 2013. Which makes us uh, one of the OGs in crypto. I think we're also a little bit older uh, as a group. We're all, I think, now in our our forties. At least, sort of the sort of original crew. I was previously in um, the quant trading space, a place called Two Sigma, uh, before I came over here. And I found, you know, Bitcoin and crypto back in 2014. Since I've been here, we have evolved GSR to one of the larger market makers in the space, one of the largest derivatives traders, uh, as well as options market maker and OTC desks. And recently, uh, we have launched our regulated investment management arm.
0: Fantastic. So how are you managing in the wake of this incredible, dramatic fallout of FTX?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's hard to say that you would definitely see this one coming that's quite a quite a big one you know from gsr's perspective you know on the good side we haven't really been involved in these sort of broader contagion around sort of excess leverage and you know intra leverage and borrowing we didn't have any dealings with alameda or any of the other sort of 2022 fallen from grace firms but we did trade on ftx as a market maker and uh, had some funds uh, stuck there, which was a very manageable amount, but still very, very frustrating. In the broader sense, you know what, if you look in saying like, what is this really done? Well, it certainly sort of pumped up all the pricing and all the valuations uh, way higher than it otherwise would have been. But I think 2022 has shown that it's been you know five steps forward and something like ten steps backwards. And you know the trust of the overall ecosystem uh, is uh, you know probably a few years further back than it should have been if this wouldn't have happened.
0: And what impact has that had on capital markets or our crypto capital markets? There seems like trust has been sucked out of the system. Are people a bit more wary of their counterparties now, and are you giving each other a harder time, as it were? What does that What does that feel and look like?
1: Right, I think we've always been known for giving people a relatively hard time trying to use, you know, requesting financials, using pretty developed agreements, um, trying to look at counterparty risk from a sort of CVX perspective.
0: So explain that, maybe for folks who are unfamiliar with the granular. Uh, esoteric nature of counterparty risk management?
1: Yeah, I think so. from a counterparty's perspective, you can, you know, if I want to borrow money from someone or lend out money from someone or trade with someone else, I want to have a little bit of a feeling for who that person is. So I want to look at their financials. I want to look Mm. at the guarantees for these trades. I want to have you know, variation margin, that seems like we will exchange collateral of the positives and negatives of what that trade is going. And, you know, generally sort of have pretty open books to each other. And depending on what counterparties you're looking at, you usually have a stronger and you have a weaker counterparty. And the, um, you know, sort of CVX designation is trying to assess what that credit risk is and price that in some form of basis point. But then generally, it's about Know, know who you're trading with and onboard them properly.
0: In hindsight everything's 2020, but what are some of the more major counterparty risk management mistakes that were made in the market to allow for this amount of risk to percolate throughout the system? I would venture to say collateral was one of the main issues with folks borrowing with collateral inherently tied, to the success of the underpinning organization. So you don't see USDC or Bitcoin, but if I'm frank and I'm borrowing and posting collateral with Frankcoin, that yeah. seems pretty problematic.
1: That's indeed exceptionally problematic and you know, it's a big no-no uh, just in general. So
0: why was it so widespread?
1: I think that you know, I don't know if this is true completely, but I'm going to give it a go. So crypto hasn't have access to the traditional capital markets. Crypto doesn't have access to the equity markets, doesn't have access to the debt markets, doesn't have access to the you know structured finance market, if you like. But what they did have access to was LP markets, so LP capital. And a lot of these firms took in that LP capital And then found good business models by lending some of that LP capital out to other crypto players who couldn't go to the traditional capital markets. And they could do that because no one else would lend to them. But if they did it, they could demand a higher yield. So I think that it sort of perpetuated a bad behavior and a lot of contagion of, you know, we know each other and we are mates. And then people started to develop you know, as I guess FTX did, they developed their own tokens uh, and then say we can use that as collateral, and it just never applied a very rigorous model to it and it all came crashing down and there was complete lack of transparency.
0: Yeah, the opaqueness is certainly one issue. Break down this um, part of the reason why there were a lack of standards around collateral was because there weren't many options or parties to lend from in a sense
1: well i think that the you know the sort of mature lenders across the world didn't find the counterparty to of crypto firms particularly attractive and didn't enter that market versus people who built lending businesses in crypto didn't have the expertise of understanding counterparty risk
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, clearly, (laughs) clearly they didn't, but without getting too personal or calling out individuals, I mean, it's not like, like, we can go through even some of the folks that left, right? You know, a firm like Genesis, they had their head of risk management, they had these different roles. It's not like an FTX where it was kind of a flat, Playground of folks gallivanting around the Bahamas, they seemed like they had the proper structure. What specifically was missing?
1: I mean, I think they lended out assets to people they shouldn't have lent assets out in the first place. So just go back to, you know, some of the people that th- th- there's a few different ways. What was these assets used for? They were usually used for leverage, right? Mm-hmm. So and how was these assets collateralized? In many cases, they weren't collateralized at all. Well, they were collateralized with, um, as you were saying, you know, very native tokens that were very correlated with what you did. I think it's a clear question of, you know, plain and simple greed here. And yeah. if I take it one step further, this is where the majority of these sort of infrastructure firm's revenue came from with very few exceptions it was either lending revenues from interest rates or uh, that counterparty who lent it to was making money through leverage so those are in my view very low quality earnings if mm-hmm. you lend out to bad counterparties and it, or if you just getting you know leverage return on something um, You know, once one of that domino falls, as we can see, all of the dominoes falls. So the people that were borrowing three arrows, for example, you know, they borrowed from multiple different parties claiming that, you know, showing everyone the same part of their balance sheet. So just leverage up that part and just expose it. And there should be controls in place for making sure that that doesn't happen. And there weren't.
0: So where do we go from here as an industry? Do we set some standards in place? I mean, I remember way early on when I first started covering the space, there were these different attempts to create an, a sort of self-regulatory organization that set the, mm-hmm. the rules of the road, as it were, for trading and, and risk management and many other you know wonky, pedantic market structure Many of them sort of fell by the wayside or went quietly out in the night.
1: People got a little bit too excited.
0: Yeah, we don't need rules. As a firm, are there sort of, you know, more, have you taken a more conservative approach or rather are you set to take a more conservative approach? Are there any things you're looking for now?
1: We are and have always been a much more conservative firm. We haven't. Participated in the leverage business, or in, you know, we are not very leveraged and we haven't participated in the lending businesses. You know, looking at a lot of these companies, it takes time to build out internal controls. It Mm -hmm. takes people to build out internal controls. And it's not always fun to jump through all these hoops or to ask all your counterparties to sort of open the kimono, as the horrible expression has it. Mm But I think that that sort of hinges on the fact that we all came from traditional finance. We might have been a little bit older. Um, we also didn't take in external capital when we started. Mm. So it wasn't playing around with other people's money. And I think we put sort of, you know, our philosophy was always, if you're good at not losing money, you stand a pretty good chance of making money in this industry. Um so I think we definitely need more transparency uh, and more controls and a better framework. And I think we have to be vigilant as individual firms around this going forward. I do unfortunately think that you know, particularly in the US, we probably are taking a few years off the opportunity of us actually having a workable regulatory framework where we can, you know, run our businesses. Just looking at sort of Nexo chose to exit the US being one of those examples just now. So that's one part. The other part that I would say is that hopefully people who have learned some lesson from this. And I don't think by any means that we have seen all the consequences of this coming. I think there's more to come over the next you know few weeks or months or what it is that, you know, some firms that wasn't immune to everything that's going on are still not fully disclosing where the losses are. They're trying to solve their internal problems and whether or not they do it or not. I don't know, but if they don't, they're definitely going to have to succumb to the pressure.
0: Can you walk us through a little bit about the Binance Recovery Fund initiative? How are firms like GSR involved in that, contributing to that effort?
1: Yeah, so... um we're probably not the firm that you have seen most of in the papers mm-hmm. you know over the years in crypto we sort of think that we are a service provider to the crypto ecosystem or to investors into crypto and most of the press i guess especially now we want to be about the promise of crypto as opposed to sort of greed and fraud but when this happened we decided to take a little bit more of an active role and maybe have a more of an active voice. And part of it is that we think that we need to stabilize the market. Um, So one of these things that we did very early with FTX is that we announced that customers of ours that had funds locked on FTX, we would reimburse for them so they didn't have those losses, which is not effective altruism. It's about creating some stability within the market and be it for the future. CC and Binance announced that they wanted to do a recovery fund, which wanted to look at projects or tokens or any kind of companies or projects that got exposed to what's happened over the course of this year or particularly uh, in the sort of uh, FTX fraud demise and be able to support them. And we thought that seems like a pretty good thing to participate. So that was one of the things that we participated in and tried to sort of raise awareness that this exists. The implementation of the fund is very much such that people can apply to the recovery fund, which is not, as I understand it, purely an investment fund, is to recover something that's gone wrong and we get something in return. But everyone who's contributing is making you know, in a coordinated way, but they're making their own decisions.
0: Hopefully those funds are sefu and not being used to buy Bahamian real estate.
1: I don't think that Sam can apply to the recovery fund.
0: It should just be buying uh, our bags, as it were, market buying, get price to be a little bit better. Speaking of which, how do you think the collapse of FTX Alameda has impacted market liquidity uh keiko i think that's how you pronounce their firm's name had a pretty interesting piece about um the impact of liquidity the sort of alameda gap they refer to it as do the markets feel different without alameda making their way into these order books
1: um does it feel different by making way into their order books um i think uh, Alameda was predominantly trading on FTX, and they were laying off some risk elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think all of 2022 has seen a significant decay in volumes. Part of it comes with sort of the price decay, so that, you know, the notional of tokens traded, even if they are same, are less. Most of it has come in altcoins as well. The ones that are holding up a little bit better is BTC and ETH. and this is a particularly big and unfortunate issue in crypto because crypto, you know, crypto is quite dependent on liquidity. Without liquidity, the networks doesn't really work. Mm. Uh, and that's why we are participating, you know, and trading across so many digital assets and supporting so many projects as a market maker to try to drive that liquidity. But it's certainly been Driven out. And I think more than anything, it's not that Alameda has pulled a lot of liquidity out of the ecosystem and they were so impactful. You know, I have some other comments on that. Yeah, please. But it's more about that a lot of the fear and people have actually exited the space. And when people have seen, you know, big losses, they sell everywhere and they haven't come back in yet. So we haven't started to see that same sort of, you know, retail participation and a lot of the trust in the ecosystem has gone away, and we now have to regain that, and that's when volume will come back.
0: Wobi, one of the world's leading virtual asset exchanges, has been providing convenient and professional virtual asset services to more than 50 million users in more than 160 countries for nearly a decade. At Wobi, their mission is to make crypto accessible, building the go-to hub for the next billion crypto users. Wobi believes crypto shouldn't have any barriers to entry. Wobi is committed to asset and platform security to help you understand risks and make informed decisions to protect you and your assets. Learn more today at Wobbe.com. I also want to give a shout out to Ledin, bitcoin backed loans and savings by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. As we've seen, not all digital asset lenders are created equal. Ledin prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with its robust risk management approach. That is why Ledin doesn't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation strategies with its clients' assets, and only supports Bitcoin and USDC two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. Ledin is also dedicated to transparency, which is why they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens recommended by professional athletes with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals and probiotics it helps me start my day i mean i'm on the road a lot reporting on a 24-hour market so i need some sort of boost to keep me energized throughout the day who knows when a story is going to drop on my desk anyway tons of people take multivitamin supplements and I've realized it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. As someone who's tried a bunch of different multivitamins and has still felt tired and run down, Athletic Greens has made a huge difference for me. But anyway, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com scoop again. That's athleticgreens.com slash scoop to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah, the distinction here is there is a gap maybe to a degree, I think you think to a lesser degree than maybe the overall market that Alameda left. There's a larger gap that's tied to just folks being maybe a bit more wary to engage with the market in in the aftermath of their sort of Meltdown.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure that if you mean that sort of the, the, the Alameda volumes that came from sort of inflated pricing and, you know, that trading on FTX, I agree that's probably came out, but that wasn't really genuine volume that the market wanted anyway. I'm more concerned about the exit of real participants from the market. We didn't see across other venues, you know, particularly big negative impact for the industry when Alameda turned off in anything, We saw someone who was, you know, you can't ever tell exactly who it is, but it was clear that someone who was doing quite sloppy trading turned off a, a yeah. little bit. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. So who's lending right now? I feel like the credit market's completely collapsed.
1: Yeah, I think if you were dependent on lending or on borrowing, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. We're back to the, you know, day one where no one here to support the industry with loaned assets or, you know, anything like that. I mean, there is some degree of responsible borrowing that can be done, but it's papered up and it has proper collateral around it, so it doesn't give you sort of Massive degrees of freedom to just go out and leverage what you do. They are quite, you know, term based, and you know you need to have weekly or monthly updates and showing what you are. So it's much more restrictive, but it's also much more healthier. Mm. Uh, so the bigger part is that the LP market has dried out, and we can all talk about how big the opportunities are right now for people to invest if you really believe in crypto. But that's all good and well until uh, they actually do it. So. We'll see what happens with the protocols out there which we're having that roadmaps now need to catalyst the way into call sustainability and that might be difficult for some unless we see you know investor confidence return, good market structures return and you know responsible players you know acting within the space.
0: So what's the opportunity for GSR is there a potential for you to you know in, a, in effect one of your largest competitors got blown out? How do you eat up more of the pie?
1: Right. Um, I think there's a big opportunity in the sense that liquidity is more important than ever. And someone who can show that they have provided genuine uh, liquidity for you know, many years uh, has a big role to play. So for sure, that's a market that we you know, are encouraged to buy, even though the market has come down bits of the pie is obviously smaller.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we have other initiatives around sort of GSR one, which is sort of options trading, which we've always been quite excited about. And particularly now when all the sort of crazy defi, defi yield is gone, it's a little bit sort of like the yield is dead, long live the yield. Mm-hmm. And that yield would actually come from the inherent volatility of the asset themselves. And we are uniquely placed to provide that. So if there is sort of a silver lining. And yeah, I think we're here for the long term, and we're going to keep building out our franchise and working with our customers, and we have fortunate enough to know that we're going to be here for a long time.
0: There's a silver lining. That's good to know. Yeah. Good to know. I wasn't sure for a while, for about a week, maybe two weeks. I couldn't, I I was, the fog of war consumed me. Yeah. But now I'm pretty hopeful. Where do you see opportunity in DeFi? you think this is a tailwind or a headwind?
1: You know, I think one of the big opportunities is that by virtue of operating in a responsible way that we have done and not having been exposed to the contagion and liquidity being important. But I would also say, you know, obviously we are not linked to an exchange. We are not an internal market Mm. maker on an exchange, which is the big no-no. And it reminded me of this... um, acquire podcast that um, mm. SBF did in end of 2021 where, you know, there was a lot of things about sort of the killer features about building something like a new exchange. And part of it was that, you know, everywhere else you get only 83% of your profits because they, the socialite losses and the irresponsible sort of trading on those meant that you gave up some of your profits and FTX was supposed to give you you know, closer to 100%, which, you know, obviously wasn't the case in the end. But part of the sort of difficult stuff that was covered there is about sort of customer acquisitions. And they focused a lot on so called power users. But if you go into that podcast and you listen at, you know, around 55 minutes, 20 seconds, I check this up. Mm-hmm. There is very clearly, he said that one of the reasons why we managed to catalyze FTX. Was because we had an internal market maker. And, you know, that's a big no no. So it was out there the whole time.
0: Yeah. Everyone knew.
1: Everyone knew.
0: But for some reason, like, it's a weird question. Why do you think no one really cared that much?
1: I think people did care. I know a lot of people who cared and continuously said, you know, this shouldn't happen. Mm hmm. Why is this allowed? And it's unfair advantage. But I mean my guess is as good as anybody else. But I I sort of think that what would happen is let's just say that I did it, Mm -hmm. right? I would have gone straight to jail without passing go. Because I've been regulated by some of the larger regulators in the world. I'm supposed to know what the rules are and I can do it. Maybe there is a case of saying here's someone who you know, we can give a pass because they are entrepreneurial and young and we look the other way. But frankly, I don't know. Yeah, It's a bit absurd. But, you know, what does this do for GSR? Well, it's great because it's a level playing field. It's a more level playing field. That's a huge opportunity for us. That's all we want. Mm-hmm. So what
0: what is your 12-month forecast for the crypto industry look like?
1: So a few things I think will happen is that, you know, over the next coming weeks or Months or so, however long it takes, the sort of tail end of this exposure is going to come out and there's going to be a bit of a cleanup. And, you know, until then, we're probably going to be in this mode for a little bit. And in the background, you know, we're going to go on and trying to keep putting stability into the market and do what we're doing. I think there will be a push to transparency, which we already see. So, exchanges trying to show their inventory and their capital use. I think that we are already seeing that. You know, for example, like it's absurd that a market maker like GSR needs to hold millions of dollars on unregulated exchangers who can't tell us who the UBO is. Whereas yeah. that's our biggest risk. And I think that's gonna go away. We're already seeing and we are working quite hard on establishing a framework where we don't have to have that exposure. And we can trade by having the assets, but we don't have to sort of give them all away and if the UBO disappears, we just lost money. So these things need to come in. I think regulations probably is further away today than it was, you know, a month ago, which is unfortunate. So we need to regain some of that trust. But what I would say is everything that happened over twenty twenty two has very little to nothing to do with actually the underlying technology of crypto. And there are well funded projects out there. There are really good builders. It's one of the biggest sections of talent density that we have seen since the early internet days. So I'm quite positive about that. I think the recovery will be less sort of explosive and having all these you know excess leverage. But I think once this dust has settled and you know we're starting to build sort of a new infrastructure for these project, I think we will start seeing the recovery, whether that comes, you know, in Q two, Q three or so on is very hard to say, but I think we're in for a little bit of a quiet period. Hopefully. A bit of a quiet
0: period. Get some nice vacations in in the meantime.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe I'll that go to really Greece. vacation period.
0: <laughs> Greece? Yeah. Very nice. Maybe in March. That would be nice. Yeah. Can anyone has any recommendations. Easter. Out? Yeah, that'd be fun.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, sir. First off, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insights. And I look forward to seeing uh, some developments from you folks. And we'll see uh, if that silver lining becomes more of a shiny
1: blue sky. Thank you. Pleasure was all mine.
0: Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.